Follow along with me. The one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus the Christ, the word of life. This one who is life from God was shown to us and we've seen him. And we now testify and announce to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was shown to us. We are telling you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy will be complete. This is the message he has given us to announce to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Whatever your situation, would you take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes? This is just you and God now. And in the quietness of your heart, I want to invite you to simply just say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? You may, you may be here this morning and not even really believe in God or believe in Jesus or this whole Christian thing. And you are welcome here. But I want to ask you to say, Lord, if you want to say something to me, would you say it? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know you're here, but we, wanna, we want you to have all the influence in this moment, Lord. We want to follow you and obey and respond to you in the name of Jesus because you're, you're holy and you are worthy. And we love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Finally. All this up and down. Are we at a Catholic church or what, you know? <laughs> Guys, it's Super Bowl Sunday, huh? That has literally nothing to do with the message this morning. But are you ready to hear from the Lord? We've already heard his word. I wanted to just say a couple amazing things about the book of 1 John. This was written roughly 50 to 60 years after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. We're looking at like 90 A.D., 90, 95 A.D. This is one of the last books in the Bible as far as chronologically written. And so for, for decades now, these followers of Jesus, they've been seeing acts take place. And John, who is really a pillar in the church. He's one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. And John is writing, and I love how he writes. 
He writes as a, as a simple person. In fact, if you're studying Greek, this is where, if you're in Bible college and you're studying Greek, this is where they take you. Because it's the simplest way to just understand and translate from the Greek into English. Simple doesn't mean easy. This is powerful. And so I, I, I want you to listen because this is important things, and I believe really, truly, that this is what God has called us to as Cross Point Community Church. He's called us to focus on this during this season. Now, I love that John uses family terms. He's talking about little children, dear brothers, beloved. This is how he refers to his people. And he's writing this letter to them. And uh, a lot of people think he's writing from Ephesus. But the point is, he's writing to people in a simple way. And these people are various different levels of maturity. All right? So we're going to look at moving from me to we. All right? That's the, that's the I, I, I think the title of chapter one here is moving from me to we. All right? Let's read these first few verses here. Verses one to three. The one who existed from the beginning. The one we have heard and seen. Isn't that an interesting pronoun? You know, you got to pay attention to pronouns when you read God's word, right? Here's John, and he's writing, and he's using the pronoun we. Who does we refer to? Have you ever wondered that? I was thinking, who is we, John? Who's we? What's that about? Well, actually, he explains it in a few verses here. The one we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life. So he's, the we is representing the apostles, the people who saw Jesus, who were those disciples who became apostles. And he's saying, we, guys, this is from us. Church, this is from us. And we've seen, and we've heard, and we've touched, and we've smelled. The smell is really not in there, but it, it's part of that. It's that experience. We experienced Jesus is what he's saying. And then he goes on in verse 2. This, I actually, I wanted to say that word, the word of life. You know that word, word? Do you know what word that is in Greek? I'm sure you guys know. Lagos. Do you know what this means? It means it's something more than just a word. It's the idea and the personification of that idea. So when it says, Jesus, the word of life, that means Jesus is life personified. Jesus is life the way it's supposed to be. And that's what Jesus was. He was life, and he came here to show us and give us life. And he's saying, we, we apostles, we saw him. We touched it. We are eyewitnesses to what has happened 50 years ago. 60 years ago, we saw this. And it says in verse 3, if I can find verse 3, we are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Those pronouns Pronouns are a big deal, and this pronoun, our, means a 
our and your hour. Does that make sense? Combined, together. And he says, we write these things so that your joy can be full, our joy can be full, our joy can be complete. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. And so these pronouns are really interesting. And John was not always like this. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Can you turn to Luke 9? So 1 John is at the end of the Bible, toward the end. Luke would be turning to your left, okay? If you hit Matthew and Mark, you've gone too far. So Luke chapter 9, this is not a very great scripture passage for fans of John the Apostle. Because there's several different things in here. We see, we see the apostles fighting amongst themselves in Luke 9, 46 through 50. They're, they're arguing over who is the greatest. A few verses later, we see somebody casting out, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And John said, Jesus, don't worry about it. I told him to stop because he's not part of our little group. Do you remember that? It's in Luke 9. Are you there in Luke 9? And then... One of my, the craziest verse, and this is John, okay? This is John, the guy who's writing this. In chapter 9, verse 54, look with me. I love this. I love this because it gives me hope. I don't love this because it condemns John or anything like that. But look in verse 51. As time drew near... For his return to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But they were turned away. The people of the village refused to have anything to do with Jesus because he had resolved to go to Jerusalem. So here's a village, and what does it do? It rejects Jesus. It says, you're not welcome here. And then in verse 54, when James and John heard about it, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we order down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> That'll teach them. Lord, let's, let's just call on fire. Here's the guy. I, I, I mean, that's called vengeance, right? And they, they understood the situation. Here was Jesus who deserves an audience. He deserves your attention. And he deserves your submission and your worship. But when it's not given to him, they say, Lord, I got an idea. We can fix this. Call down fire and just burn them up. That ought to do it. Jesus turned and rebuked them. <laughs> Doesn't even say what he, what he said. He just turned and rebuked them. <laughs> I love that. So they went on to another village. Back to 1 John. Here's this guy. In Luke 9, full of anger, full of vengeance. And we can see in the previous context, he's, he's arguing who's the greatest with the other disciples. In the Gospel of John, we see something kind of unique. There's some sort of weird competition between Peter and John. Have you ever noticed that? Especially as you look at the crucifixion account and the resurrection account. There's Peter and John. They hear Mary say, he's not here. He's risen and, and the tomb is empty. And so they run. And it's a race. 
And in the book of John actually says, you know, Peter got there, or the disciple who Jesus loved got there first. You remember that? And then, but Peter went inside. And then at the end of John, we see in, in chapter 21 that Peter's looking at John and he's saying, what about him? And there's this, I don't know what, it, it, kind of a competition thing. But what we can take from all of this, what we can conclude from all of this, is the scriptural evidence for John in the Gospels is that he was all about me. And, and even in how he related to Jesus, he wanted to be the one closest to Jesus. In fact, in another place, John and, and James's mom went to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, I would like for my son to, be on your, to sit at your right hand when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, that's a tough thing. You don't even know what you're asking for. Do you think you can handle that? And they said, yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I could, do, I could do it. And Jesus said, it's not my place to give that. It's reserved for my father to, to assign that. So here's this guy who's consumed with self. And then what happens? He experiences Jesus the first thing to write down in your little notes is John and the apostles were transformed by experiencing Jesus. It transformed them. And as they had the Spirit of God leading them and guiding them, they were transformed. There are two things that the world cannot argue with. There are two things that the world is drawn to. Like a magnet, like a moth to a flame. There are two things that the world cannot resist. Do you know what they are? The first one, there should be another slide up there, but it's, it's in, your, in your notes. The first thing that the world is drawn to is a transformed life. The world has no argument for your transformed life. You had an anger problem, and now Jesus is in charge of your life, and there's no anger problem. They have no answer for that. They have no answer for somebody who was selfish and all about me and my ambition and now all of a sudden is all about Jesus and his kingdom. The world has no answer for somebody who was selfish, wanted to be a master, who now all of a sudden wants to be a humble servant. There is no explanation for that. For the addict who is so consumed, who now has freedom and is now living abundantly. Some of the most free people I've ever met found Jesus in prison and are still in prison, but they're free. The world has no explanation. They have no answer for this. One of the things the world is drawn to is your transformed life. But, we're going to see this in a minute. If we claim that we're followers of Jesus and we look just like everybody else, what does that say? That there's really no difference. That this isn't real. And that's why this, this passage is really kind of harsh. It says you're a liar. 
If you say that you walk in the light and, and your life looks like darkness, if you look like, if you handle a traffic jam the way everybody else handles the traffic jam, the truth is not in you. You're not walking in the light. Can I get an amen on that? That's kind of a mean amen to, yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm not saying this, guys. This is, this is God's word. He's saying this. John is saying this. Here is a transformed life. The apostles were transformed. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see what each of them faced for Christ. John alone escaped a vicious death. But he was persecuted constantly because what he had in Jesus was so much more. The world has no answer for your transformed life. The second thing that a, a lost world is drawn to, the second thing, are you ready for that? Is genuine community. Write that down. Genuine community. Would you say that with me? Is that all right? I like to hear your voices sometimes. Here we go, one, two, three. Genuine community. The world is drawn to unity, to humility, to community. And when the church is constantly fighting with each other, when you see this church against this church or this church denouncing this church, is that attractive? Does that make you think there's something there? They have something. This Jesus, there's something to him. But when the world sees the people of Jesus come together, supporting one, each, one another, uh, loving one another, they have no answer for that in John 13 35 such an important verse by this shall everyone know that you are my disciples by your doctrine is that right I'm not saying doctrine's bad I hope you understand but that's not how everybody's going to know that we are followers of Jesus he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love. Did I make that up? No. Jesus says, this is the signature of Jesus. This is how the world is going to know. By your love. Because there's, there's no expo explanation for this. We have people in the early church especially, and people in the mission field can attest to this. That when somebody comes to Jesus and somebody from this network over here comes to Jesus, the only thing they really have in common is this Jesus thing. And there's no explanation for how come all of a sudden these people are getting along. They were enemies before and now they're brothers and sisters. There's no answer for this. Muslims have no answer for this. The world has no answer for this. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So here's the disciples, the apostles, and John. They moved, because of their experience with Jesus, they moved from me and a me-focused sort of religion to we. And that we includes Jesus, includes God the Father, it includes the Spirit, and it includes his people. And all of a sudden... He's using these pronouns instead of I and me. Even when John writes his gospel, he's, he refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. 
the one Jesus loved. I always thought that was kind of snobby, you know? I will no longer refer to myself as Ben. I am now the pastor Jesus loved. What is John Salmon supposed to think of that? Like, who is he, chopped liver? No, but I, I honestly don't think that was a snobby thing John was doing. You know what John was doing? He was so broken. He was so overwhelmed that that God, that that, that one who could calm the storms, that could walk on water, that could raise the dead, that he wants me, that he would pursue me, that was the defining point in his life. That is what defined him. It wasn't the name he was given by his parents. It was who he was in Jesus. And when the apostles moved from me to we, it was because they experienced the transforming love of Jesus that he would want me that the one who could speak reality into existence wants me, he, he cares about me, I can't, I can't live without that. That trumps everything, that shakes up everything. My life is wrecked in the most beautiful way because he wants me. I'm forever transformed. And that's who I am. And so here he is, he's writing and, and he says, we, the things we have seen, the one we have seen, we want to announce to you the next thing I want you to write down is verse 4. You have experienced Jesus so that others can experience Jesus. Can you write that down? You have. If you are here, sitting here, and you are a follower of Jesus, the reason you have experienced Jesus is so that those around you can experience Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. You guys are allowed to talk. Did you know that? This is not the library. I love seeing like smiley faces and you can talk and wave and, you know, take a nap if you need to. I understand. But I'd, I'd love for you to not. But you have experienced Jesus so that others can experience Jesus. Did you know, I've said this before, and it's absolutely true, that in the New Testament, there are 30 accounts of somebody giving their life to Jesus, giving their life to the Lord making a conversion 30 times. And did you know, out of all of those times, there's only two that was a solitary single time. Actually, three. I'm sorry. I forgot about the Ethiopian eunuch. There's three. A guy named Sergius Paulus, where it only refers to him. We have no idea what happens with him. There's the thief on the cross, and then there's the Ethiopian eunuch. Every other account of a conversion in the New Testament is a group. It's a family. Or it's friends, Lydia and her friends down by the river. When God saves you, it's not just for you. The reason you have come to Jesus is so that those around you, those you work with, your family, your friends, your loved ones, strangers you come in contact with at the mall, it's so that they can experience Jesus. And when, when you realize that, it's just amazing. Now, here's the thing. He says in verse 4, read that with me. Follow along with me. We are writing these things so that our joy can be complete. It's, it's ours, it's yours, it's our collective joy 
can be complete. Do you understand? Our joy can be complete. He wants to share it. It's so good you've got to share. Does anybody like burritos? I love a good burrito. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay. There's this place in Reading, the best burrito in Reading. Nope, it's not Burrito Bandito. I love Burrito Bandito. The best burrito in Reading is a little tiny hole in the wall. It's called Rakitos Taqueria. It's over by Jean's Hamburgers off of 273 and Market Street up there. Rakitos. I'm telling you guys, Josh, it'll change your life. It is phenomenal. They have like this smoked beef that they put on the, the, the burrito. And it's, so, it's something I actually daydream about. <laughs> but I, I'm a connoisseur of burritos. I'm always looking for the good burrito. And when I found this burrito, I couldn't keep it to myself. It was actually Nicole that said, hey, I heard about a place. And we went there, we tried it, and I was just, I was transformed. <laughs> In the lamest way possible. You got to try Rakitos. Listen, what happens when you have good news? You share it. What happens when you know it's a boy? Or you know it's a girl? You, you, you share the news. What happens when something good happens, like the Eagles win the Super Bowl? <laughs> you share it. You know? What happens when something good happens is so good you've got to share it. When you see him, you announce him. Amen? When you experience Jesus, when you see the love that he would want me, my life is an announcement of what he's done for me. What has Jesus done for you? If it really is good news, it's easy to share. It's not hard. I mean, I love evangelism, explosion, all those great questions, and there's the, the Romans road, there's this four spiritual laws. Those are all great ways to share the gospel. But you want to know something? It's not hard to look at somebody and say, do you have any idea what Jesus did in my life? Would you like to know? I mean, that's kind of weird. Some people could totally get away with that in this group. Some people would make other people run away if you tried that. But it's not hard to interject. And he's everything. What he's done for me is everything. And I can't talk about football and not talk about the goodness of God. I can't talk about movies and not talk about the goodness of God. I can't talk about work and not talk about what Jesus has done for me. Because when you see him, you announce him. You have experienced Jesus so that others can experience Jesus. Now, I want to talk for a minute, just in closing here. Some of you perk up as soon as I say closing. Yes? All right, I'm listening. If it means we're done sooner, I'm all ears. I love that. That's totally me. Does anybody else kind of... I grew up in this church years ago. It wasn't this church. It was a different church, but it was in this building. And uh, that word fellowship, I just thought it was one of those cheesy Christian words. Can I get an amen? No? Yeah? 
Anybody feel that way? Like fellowship is a word that only Christians use. Have you ever noticed that? Hey guys, why don't you come to our event on Friday because there's going to be food, fun, and fellowship. It starts with an F, so it just it should go with food and fun. Fellowship. Let's, hey, you know what we need? We need some fellowship. And it's just like, you say that and I want to slap you. I know that's not Jesus in me. That's just, that's the flesh maybe, but that's just what happens. It's just one of those cheesy words. And I, if you love the word fellowship, please don't be offended by this. But honestly, I've always been frustrated by the word fellowship. It just means, it, it's just cheesy in a certain sense. And I've always kind of resisted that word. But John uses this word over and over and over again. And we're looking at it, the, the series is entitled Beloved. Beloved. And he says fellowship. And that word in Greek is koinonia. Koinonia. And there's two real meanings. There's two sides of fellowship, okay? Write these down with me. There's two sides of the meaning, okay? The first one is the meaning of, it, it means communion, okay? Write that down. It means communion. So in order for somebody to have koinonia or, or fellowship, it means that, that there's like a communication that's happening, you understand? Nod with me if you're, if you're with me. Yeah. Good. Some of you are nodding because you're like trying to stay awake, and that's fine too. But, but there's a, a communion that takes place. Have you ever had that with a group of people or with somebody else where you're just, you're, you're in sync, and you're talking on the same, the same wavelength, and before you know it, you've spent five hours together. Have you ever had somebody over for dinner and you had so much fun and it was so great that you're like, whoa, it's 12.30, like, you gotta go. <laughs> and then you've had people over, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, it's 5.30, how early can I ask them to go? <laughs> Some of you are judging me right now. <laughs> honestly, I am a broken sinner who's been redeemed by a mighty savior. But, but honestly, have you ever been in that situation where you're like, okay, how soon can this conversation end? Fellowship means communion. It means that you're in the same wavelength. You're thinking the same things. You're hearing the same things. You're loving it. You're responding. It's one of those conversations where you speak and then sometimes you listen. And it goes on and you don't mind. Have you ever had that? That's what fellowship means. So when we talk in church and when we say we need to have more fellowship, this is what we should mean. And the second side of, of koinonia, the second meaning of this, is it means sharing in common. Write that down. Sharing in common. It means that you have things that you have in common. For a lot of believers, the only thing they really have in common is Jesus. And that's enough. So I want to like I want to take that mindset from you of fellowship means we have a potluck or fellowship means I shake hands and I say hey thanks yeah it's good to see you fellowship is so much more. It's so much bigger. The best picture of fellowship I've ever seen 
is personified in my friend Wally Rogers. You don't know Wally. He lives down in the Santa Barbara area. But Wally was a part of our church family down there when, when we were down there for 12 years. And he, was a, he is a dear friend of mine, considerably older than me. He was a master sergeant in Vietnam. And he was over there in the thick of it. And he led a troop of men that to this day, the surviving members of that group, once a year, they get together. They have ever since, every year. And I had the honor, Nicole and I had the honor of going to Wally's 75th birthday party. This was years ago. And it was a big deal. A lot of people was there, a lot of family was there. Maybe a couple hundred people were there. And his Vietnam brothers were there. And to see them look at each other, to see them talk to one another, they told a story. Wally told this story in the microphone to everybody. He said, I've never had friends like these guys. No other relationship in my life can measure up or compare to what we went through to what we have in common. And he gave a case in point. He said one time we were, we were doing a, just a simple patrol in the jungle and we were in a riverbed and we were ambushed. And our point person got shot and everybody else had a chance to get away and we made it to cover. But our guy was, was down and he was bleeding. And so Wally, he said, I told my men Stay here, and if I'm not back in so-and-so time, I order you to go back to base. I order you. And so he is quietly and as stealthily as he could, trying to duck behind rocks and logs and different things like this. He goes along the riverbed, and he notices behind him every single one of his men was behind him. And he could not tell that story without choking up. Years, decades later. Did you know koinonia is a term that used, it had an application in a military context. This is what that word fellowship meant in the early church. It means people who have bled together. People who've gone through war together. That's what fellowship means. It means you've gone through the fire and you're galvanized and you have each other. Have you ever experienced something like that? It's marriage, yeah, you know, that's a great example. You know, I look at my wife and I probably will cry if I say this, but when I think about India, somebody was asking me today, hey, how come you have so much white in your beard? And I said, hey, well, one for every day in India. <laughs> Only she knows. It's something her and I share. And when we talk about India, she's the only one that really understands how lonely it was, how tough it was, how scary, and how important. When we, when we talk about type 1 diabetes, there's just a there's a group of people, yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine at Upward, 
he has type 1. And there was something we had in common. And there was this immediate connection. There's something about trials that brings us together. What if that's what God wants to do in our church? Do you think God wants to move you from me to we? Do you think God wants to move us as Crosspoint from, from me-focused to we-focused? I know we, it's really easy to say, yeah, that's what God wants. But what's that got to change for you? What needs to change in you for that to happen? What preferences do you need to sacrifice at the altar for that to happen? Fellowship means sharing in common. Wally Rogers knows fellowship. Those who have been through battle, been through fire, been through marriage, and, and honestly, marriages have these, churches, families have these, and those who make it through that with a forgiving and loving heart are closer than ever before. That's fellowship. So then he says in these last few verses that we're supposed to have fellowship with each other. Look in verse 3. Fellowship with each other. That's, that's God's desire for his church is that we would have fellowship with each other. We would have communion with one another. We would have an engagement, a, a, a shared experiences with each other to where we are galvanized. We've been through the fire. And we have that thing in common, and that's Jesus. We're all broken with what he's done for us. And then fellowship with the outsider, verses 3 and 4. God wants your group. He wants your, your co-workers, your family members. God wants the people in your life. If you think you can follow Jesus and not ever make disciples, you are horribly, horribly wrong. You are deceived. There's something that Jesus does in us when we grow close to him, when we give our lives to him. We've just got to share it. It's so good we've got to share it. Read with me these verses here. Verses, uh, hold on, I've got to get in the light. Oh, that's kind of in the story, huh? It's in the passage. Verses 5 through 10, I'll read these verses. This is a message he has given to us to announce to you that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship, koinonia, fellowship right there. We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God and go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not living in the truth, if that's the case. In verse 7. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, I, I love that word in um, King James, it says if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. So we're supposed to have fellowship with each other, fellowship with the outsider, and then fellowship with God himself. Do you have that? Do you have that communion with God? That word walk in the light, that literally means a continuous ongoing thing. If we live and dwell and maintain and we stay in the light of God's presence, if we have that communion, 
That's why in my translation it says presence because it's talking about communion. If we stay in his presence, if we continue in what he commands us to do, and we follow him, our lives will be light. And we'll walk in the light and we will have koinonia with God. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Hmm. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. The worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up and let's prepare to like put this into practice, okay? On the back of your sermon notes, you've got an opportunity to make a smart goal. And what that means is we want to really take it seriously. We just heard from God. The passage we just read calls us a liar. If we say that we're in the light, but we're actually in the darkness, what does that make us? Hypocrites is another word for it. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now listen, this is important. Make your SMART goal. Make it specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. And you know why you do this? Don't do it because I'm telling you to. Do it because this is God's word. We should be trembling in reverence at what God is saying. We should be applying this to our lives. James 1.22 says, You must be doers of God's word and not just hearers only. Whoever is only a hearer is deceived. Jesus said, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey me. Now I want to talk really quick to those of you, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're listening on the radio or on the internet, and you don't really even have fellowship with God. What we described as fellowship, you do not have that with God, and you don't even know how to get that from God. And, and it might be you're even here or you're listening and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I'm not a bad person. I'm okay. I'm a pretty decent person. I haven't killed anybody. I only steal when I really, really want that thing. You know what? The standard of good is not you and me. It might be that you're looking at me or you're looking at the person around you. You're looking at the humans. And you know what? You might look pretty good compared to the humans. And in fact, maybe you are good compared to your neighbors, compared to the people next to you, compared to your coworkers. You might be good, but the standard of good is absolute holiness of God. There's not one person here who can say that I'm without sin because we're all born into it. We're sinners by nature and by choice. I was talking with my eight-year-old about this. And we were talking about, you know, she had an outburst of anger. And I said, Mercy, isn't it funny and interesting how nobody ever had to teach you to be angry? Nobody ever had to teach you 
to, to, to throw a tantrum or to be mean? And she's like, yeah, that's true. Where did that come from? Well, sin, we're born into sin. And to say that we're not is, is, is calling God a liar, and the truth is not in us. We have sinned, and there's not one of us who hasn't turned from God. There's not one of us who's exalted ourselves that hasn't exalted ourselves over God. In fact, many of us do it daily, hourly. But God loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his son, who was God in human form, to come and he, he took our place. He was life incarnate. Logos, you remember that? Logos, that word? The epitome of life, he was personified in, in Jesus. Life personified is who Jesus was. He lived a perfect, sin-free life, and he did it to represent you and me to God. If anyone believes in Jesus, he trades places. Your sin, your punishment, he takes on himself. And on you, you know what he puts? His holiness. His place of position and power and authority as an heir to the throne of God. Now, if you're hearing this and you think, you know what, that's, that's all fine and good, that's great. Then honestly, I can't really help you. But if you're hearing this, and you're hearing the truth that Jesus himself, he, he came. And he loved you. He lived and he died on the cross to take our punishment he was separated from God for our punishment. He died on the cross and then he rose again three days. If you can hear that and it wrecks you, some of you have heard this for the millionth time and you just can't get over it. Listen, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that whoever, that he gave his only one special son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 